We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiao Xin Chung. Hey, Gavin, good to be on. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing Vice President William Lai being slated to make two transit stopovers in the United States as he heads to and returns from attending the Honduran presidential inauguration, a constitutional revision to lower the voting age to 18, passing a legislative committee review, Slovenia's Prime Minister announcing plans for exchanges of representative offices with Taiwan, a parliamentary Taiwan-Japan security partnership meeting and suggestions for Tokyo to create its own version of the US's Taiwan Relations Act and news that Pingdong County's household elect Electricity will have gone green by the end of this year. But we'll begin with the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan, and the Central Epidemic Command Centre is saying that people will now be required to show proof they've been fully vaccinated against the coronavirus before being allowed to enter certain adult entertainment venues from today. The new regulation will be in place at dance halls, nightclubs, clubs, bars and pubs, as well as beauty parlours, saunas and tea houses with hosts or hostesses. People who are not vaccinated for medical reasons are still banned from entering such venues. And according to the Epidemic Command Centre, the requirement is being introduced in response to the spread of the Omicron variant and a recent rise in domestic coronavirus cases here. It also comes as Taiwan's digital coronavirus vaccination certificates are being made more widely available. However, the mandate is not being introduced at restaurants, as the Epidemic Command Centre says it does not believe the situation currently requires such a policy. Health Minister Chen Shijong is saying, while the government has no problem with individual restaurants or a chain restaurant enforcing such rules, it will be considered unsuitable if several chains impose them jointly. Now, Chen says the issue of how the policy should best be introduced to cover restaurants and diners island-wide is currently being discussed with the Fair Trade Commission. Now, there are also currently no defined punishments for businesses or customers who violate the proof of vaccination mandate, and the Health Minister is saying that the Ministry of Economic Affairs has been tasked with compiling a list of punishments. Now, the government's new digital coronavirus certificates can be downloaded here in Taiwan from today, and the move comes after the mayors of Taipei and New Taipei Pay, both said the two cities could release their own certificates if the central government fails to produce a nationwide version. Now, officials are saying that the central government's vaccination certificate has been developed to guarantee the minimum exposure of personal data, the right that such data be forgotten, and also meets with the requirements of the European General Data Protection Regulators. So, Xiao, you're a techie. These new digital vaccination certificates. Yeah, um, should I say it's, uh, it's about time because um, number one, um, the other countries are starting to have these so-called uh, vaccination passports um, and you have to show them to get into places. So I, I think in this respect, Taiwan um, is, is a step in the right direction in pushing out this uh, uh, digital vaccination certificate. Um, but we still have a lot of unclarity where... Uh, regards to what we can do with it or without it or how to get a hold of it. So we still have to see into the details and the fine print, see what the government um, intends to to use it. But uh, as for me personally, because I, I got my vaccination with the uh, like experimental doses uh, with the UBI, so I'm not sure if I can um, get this. But for a lot of people, I think if this can be used in place of uh, you know sex scanning barcodes before entering all shops, then I think it, it makes uh, lives easier and makes tracking the uh, pandemic a lot easier. Yeah, so um, I'm not a techie, but uh, I was impressed with the QR code system that we've been using so far, although I've noticed that over the past couple of weeks, 
people have been generally ignoring them. I would say probably in Kaohsiung, uh, maybe 20% of people are still, you know, beeping before they go into 7-Eleven or the various Zuzutan uh, food places or whatever. Uh, that may change now, as we've recently, uh, just the other day, uh, discovered a, a cluster possible case in Kaohsiung that doesn't seem to be related to Taipei. So we may be in for a, a rough ride here. But um, oh, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with Charles' comments on the, uh, the, 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 he's not sure whether or not it will be all that effective as, as far as the tech goes. But I am happy to be able to reasonably believe that there won't be a large pushback from Taiwanese people over having to install this or use this, as there would be in perhaps, you know, my country of America, where there'd be people complaining about this being the mark of the beast or some sort of religious or freedom uh, issue. So um, if it gets set up and it's set up uh, with reasonable efficiency, I think there's not going to be a problem. Most people are going to comply. I doubt there's going to be much need for huge punishments, and uh, that's going to be a good thing. But, Xiao, of course, there's no there's no punishments being announced yet. They've 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 announced well, you can download it, but there's no but if you don't use it properly, you'll be fined X amount of money. Yeah, um, so I think they're working on that. But on the other hand, when we have this certificate, would it be that for people without a certificate or without uh, having gotten vaccinations, will be barred in from into entering a lot of places because well, if you look at the numbers. Uh, the vaccination rate for for the first shot and second shot is about hovering about eighty uh, percent. So that means there's a whopping twenty percent of uh, Taiwanese who haven't gotten you know the second shot or, or even any vaccines at all. So if you if this certificate is widely implemented and with the punishment on top of that, I'm not sure how this is going to well. Is it going to increase the vaccination rate, or is it going to put a lot of people uh, in, in 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 weird places? I have a funny feeling that that 20% that uh, hasn't gotten all their shots probably isn't uh, connected to the population of people that are going to so-called adult venue sites. But that's just a theory. (laughs) And, of course, Michael, it's not been open to restaurants yet, which is, of course, a big issue. Yeah, very much so. Um, We've pretty much, at least down here in the South, we've gone back to the way things were. You know, there's uh, some dividers in some places with the plastic uh, between, but even those in many places are are not in place. Uh, And with uh, the Lunar New Year coming up here, there's plans for banquets and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I wish I was more optimistic about us being able to dodge this upcoming bullet, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And although we have a wonderful health insurance system, uh, some people might not be aware that we actually have fewer doctors per 100,000 people than most, you know, developed nations uh, that are similar to to Taiwan's development status. We only have five per 100,000. And we also don't have that many hospital beds. So an overwhelming of the hospital system is not inconceivable um, if if we do happen to have an explosion in cases. And what about people that couldn't use the certificate, like maybe the elderly um, that is also interesting because the people who uh, I see who are not beeping the QR code to go into like the vegetarian uh, cafeteria, for example, they are all in their 70s, perhaps 80s or something like this. And they could figure this out 
honestly, I have to be a little bit critical here. They could if they wanted to. Um, they could get someone to help them to do it. But they they have a certain entitled uh, feeling, from what I can tell, of like, oh, just let me in. I'm old. I should be able to do this. And this is a bit of a problem, and we're going to have to deal with this. But that's why I mentioned before that the, the fact that these people will not be going to nightclubs or bars or stuff. So uh, they're, they're, these are separate issues. Yeah, I totally agree uh, with Michael. So um, it is a, 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 a serious issue, and especially given the, uh, the non-vaccinated population are mostly over, um, say, 70 70 or 65 years old so how number one how do we figure out a way to you know encourage more of old people to get get the shots and number two how do we um uh, facilitate them in using either the the digital tools or or just the paper tools to to make sure they are part of the uh the future generation who have to flash uh, your certificate before you can enter in all the places. And in case anybody is wondering why some of these older people are, are, are objecting, from what I've heard, a lot of them have told me that they have some sort of you know medical condition that they worry about. Say they have a blood clot in their leg or varicose veins or perhaps uh, something, and they're worried that they're specifically, their specific medical condition would be one that would uh, cause them severe uh, reactions from the vaccine. So this hesitancy is an issue that somehow needs to be addressed, as the show notes before, the, uh, the, 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 the central government will have to, and the medical authorities will have to figure out a way to, to convince these people that it needs to be done, or, you know, compulsorily make them do so. And Xiao, of course, Michael mentioned the pushback against this tech earlier. I mean, do you think people in Taiwan are concerned about using such technology as they would be in the West, or do you think it's, it's, most people are fine with it? Well, most people are really um, numb to the fact that their digital identity or footprint are being collected every step of the way. Um, but that being said, I mean, as more and more people are, are waking up uh, to this fact and then they are starting to you know, examine the government's use of uh, the digital surveillance, so to speak, or, and, and all the systems and then to examine how they uh, handle the personal information, how, how they are being, you know, deleted if, if they are uh, after the use or how they have been tracked. So, yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, people are definitely putting that aside. Uh, but but, but that we are coming to the second years of a pandemic. So this digital privacy, um, the, the, the issue are uh, coming front and center. And I, I think if this digital certificate system is to be implemented nationwide, I think the number one top issue to, to, to make sure, number one, they are compliant with all the uh, privacy protection laws, and number two, they are internationally um, compliant with, the, for example, the GDPR, um, so that we are certain that our privacy has been protected. And Michael, are you concerned about your privacy not being protected by using this system? Um, uh, I think uh, I probably fall into, uh, I'm not young myself, but uh, I've talked to a lot of young people who uh, are incredulous when you talk about privacy. They're like, look, you, you, you can't walk anywhere in Taiwan. There's not, not a, an avenue or a lane or a, a nook or crook anywhere where there's not a camera that's watching. Um, your cell phone is being triangulated wherever you go. They're like, I, I don't get you old folks and your privacy issues. So uh, I sort of understand that. For me personally, the only thing that I would be unhappy to know if it were to be true, and there's no way that, that uh, so far that, that 
this would be the case, would be that my personal medical information, as far as like what's available on my uh, Gembal card, would be able to be leaked into uh, public knowledge. That would make me unhappy. But other than that, I have no concerns whatsoever about being tracked because I'm already being tracked. Uh, yeah, that, that that's part of that. I, I agree. We're being tracked everywhere by the uh, cameras. But um, but another issue is the, the the digital footprint. Just like uh, you don't have to leak all of your you know important private information to be tracked. Uh, you just visit a web online and then your device IP and your location, and that's gonna quickly tie into all the other peripheral data that you have. Uh, and that's gonna append a picture of uh, what, what we do every single day. So that that, that is serious, right? Because um, if that data in the aggregate um, falls into the wrong hands, um, you know, the, the, the entity can really use that to um, to get a lot of information about Taiwan and that, that can potentially threaten our national security. So I'm just saying, um, as a whole, we should really be more careful with the our personal information. Moving on now, we talked about the Ministry of Foreign Affairs saying that it received invitations addressed to President Tsai Ing-wen from both Honduras's outgoing president and president-elect Xiomara Castro's camp for Tsai Ing-wen to attend the country's inauguration ceremony for the new president on January the 27th. And on Wednesday of this week, the presidential office announced that Vice President William Lai will be serving as Tsai's envoy to attend the inauguration ceremony. It will be Lai's first overseas trip since he took office as vice president in May of 2020. The presidential office is saying that Lai will be leading a 27-member delegation that will leave Taipei on January the 25th. The delegation will include Taiwan's top envoy to the United States, Xiao Bi Kim, several other officials from the presidential office, as well as pandemic prevention experts. Now, according to a presidential office spokesperson, Lai will make a transit stop in Los Angeles before travelling to Honduras and make a stopover in San Francisco before returning to Taiwan on January the 30th. The vice president will be holding a series of phone calls and virtual meetings with U.S. government officials and political representatives, as well as overseas Taiwanese communities during the stopovers. And the government is not releasing any information about those talks, but it's saying they'll basically be all virtual and there'll be no face-to-face -face meetings. Now, American authorities require visitors to be fully vaccinated against the disease with an approved vaccine. And of course, well, the vice president has been vaccinated with three shots, but they're of the Taiwan-made Medigen vaccine, which is not yet available in the U.S. list of accepted jabs. But the presidential office is saying the U.S. government will be providing the delegation with high standard reception and treatment still. And as also said, the vice president, William Lai, does not need to obtain an additional vaccine dose. Now, the presidential office is also saying that all members of the delegation, including the vice president himself, will be quarantined for 14 days on their arrival back here in Taiwan and follow self-health management protocols for another seven days. So, Michael, Mr. Lai is going on his first overseas trip right what are vice presidents for um you, you send them to do the the jobs that uh, uh perhaps the president uh, is too busy to do and he's going to be on the stage with the u.s vice president harris uh, very possibly and you know they may get to uh, shake hands or have some sort of a uh, communication and this looks good for live because as you pointed out this is his first overseas trip uh the virus has really uh, hampered his ability to be able to get out there and, and look good. And um, it's important for him because he very unwisely launched a primary charge against Tsai in 2020, and that's something that hasn't been forgotten. 
he's been very good so far uh, at keeping his mouth uh, closed and doing what he's been told to do. But uh, he needs to you know, be in the spotlight a little bit more so that uh, in 2024 he can maintain the heir apparent uh, status that uh, he currently sort of has. But if, if, he, if he, you know, messes things up, he, he certainly could lose that status. So this is a, a great chance for him to be able to shine. And then finally, though, I would wonder, um, even though this, uh, we are attending this, I, I, I still wonder how, how much longer we'll be able to keep Honduras as an ally. Yeah, I um, totally agree with this is a big uh, show for uh, Vice President Lai. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the, the change to me with the U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris uh, is huge. Um, and also the, the, the U.S. Vice President is being urged to meet with Lai by uh, U.S. Congress member uh, Tom Tiffany and Scott Perry. So I think there's mutual um feeling that uh, U.S. and Taiwan vice presidents can uh, can have a meaningful, uh, maybe a shake of hands or exchange of words um, to show that uh, the U.S.-Taiwan alliance is strong and is getting stronger. So ever since the past of Taipei uh, Travel Act, uh, the Taiwan Travel Act, um, yeah, the U.S. has been sending high-level um, officials to visit Taiwan. So, I mean, the meeting of... Uh, both vice presidents is going to write another new chapter of uh, of that uh, Taiwan U.S. Taiwan relationship. And of course, Xiao, the Americans are letting him in, even though he's only had the mini gen jab. Yeah, I, but I don't think he's going anywhere, though. I, <laughs> I, I suspect he's going to be uh, quarantined in his uh, his plan or his his quarters. Um, so I heard he will conduct a. Uh, teleconferences with a bunch of uh, high-level um, officials or politicians. Um, but I don't think he's going to travel around. And Michael, of course, the delegation, when it comes back, will be doing quarantine for 14 days. Yeah, that was a, the first time I saw this. That was the first question I had was, <laughs> were they going to make them do this? And uh, uh, they are. And uh, that's good because, you know, rules are rules as a uh, uh, a certain tennis player recently found out in Australia. So um, it, it's good. It's good that they do it. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I, it's not going to be all that pleasant for uh, that delegation, but uh, the the cost-benefit analysis for doing this trip, uh, Shell noted, it is worth it. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with Michael. It is definitely worth it. I mean, especially uh, if you get a chance to, to, to shake hands with US, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris um, and then to show that show to Taiwan's public that uh, Lai Chinda is not just a silent vice president. He uh, can carry the, uh, uh, the duty uh, of uh, being a, a vice head of state and, and to go around the globe and to to demonstrate that Taiwan is a sovereign country. I mean, it definitely is worth it. And but Xiao, do you think, do you think they picked William Lai to go because the, the U.S. vice president was going? I, I think that is very likely and highly the chance of that. And, but in, in any event, um, it's time for him to, to, to go out there, right? Just like Michael noted. Um, and especially, yeah, if, if they... they know beforehand that U.S. Vice President is going, um, this is definitely a good, good strategy. 
Now, moving away from that news and local news about the Constitution now, because lawmakers on the Ad Hoc Legislative Constitutional Amendment Committee approved constitutional amendments that will see the voting age here in Taiwan lowered lowered to 18 from 20. Now, the amendment was co-sponsored by the DPP, the Taiwan People's Party and the New Power Party and seeks to bring the voting age in line with most other democratic countries. Now, the KMD has said it supports the bill, but its members boycotted that committee meeting where it was approved due to the ongoing protest against the DPP for setting the agenda for the 39-member committee in a meeting earlier this month without actually any KMT lawmakers being there. Now, according to the additional articles of the Constitution of the ROC, amendments must first clear the legislature with the approval of at least three-quarters of lawmakers present at a meeting attended by at least three-quarters of all lawmakers. Now, based on the current distribution of seats in the 113-seat legislature, where the DPP holds 61 seats, the main opposition holds 39, that being the KMT it would take cooperation between the two main parties for any constitutional amendment to actually clear the body. And even if the amendment is approved by lawmakers, it must then be voted on in a national referendum. So, of course, Xiao, they've been talking about lowering the voting age to 18 from 20 for a long time. It looks like it's going to go through, but unfortunately, there's a hiccup. Two hiccups, of course, because the DPP and the KMT actually have to agree on this with a consensus, no boycotts. And, of course, even if they give it the nod, it still has to be put to the public in a referendum. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about the public referendum because I, I think this issue is long overdue, right? Um, uh, people, uh, you know, they can drink alcohol over 18. I mean, so... Um, and right now they... they they put in the new law that where 18 years olds can vote in uh, the referendum. So why not to let them vote in general elections and vote in, you know, the presidential elections, for example. So I, I, I think it's a, it's about time. It's long overdue and people generally favor this proposition. So the, 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 the only difficult part would be to have, you know, the KMT and DPP agree both on this issue. Um, and being the climate, a political climate right now as it is, um, I think the, the opposition party just going to pick wherever they can pick it, you know, the, 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 the moving forward of anything. So, so uh, I'll wait and see on that. Yeah, this is one of those ones where uh, if you're uh, over 18, you're going to be like, Grandpa, Grandma, Dad, Mom, you better get out there and vote yes for this one. And, you know, they're going to push the, the, the elders to vote for it. So I agree that there's no uh, difficulty with it passing a national referendum. It's uh, pretty much, uh, you know, the fail accompli. But um, as far as the KMT goes, they, if you talk to any of them or you see any of their positions from individual lawmakers, they all claim to support lowering the voting age to 18. And it would be somewhat suicidal to say that you didn't support that because at the same time the KMT is going on and on about, you know, wanting to uh, get more youth votes and claiming that actually they have a lot stronger youth support, except that uh, uh, DVP Green uh, Cyber Armies are covering up their, their actual uh, depth of support. So they, to, to not support it would really not be uh, wise on their part. So when it comes to a vote, I really can't imagine uh, very many people voting from the KMT voting against it. They would, they would probably uh, not fare very well in their next election. It's just it's not a winning issue for them. They, they need to vote yes. But they also, if they're honest, they probably recognize that when this happens and the voting age is lowered, they're almost certainly going to be relegated to an even smaller party than they are now. 
in fact, by 2024 or maybe the next one around, they might not be the second largest party in the legislature. And that's going to be something that's sitting on them as well. So they've got some math to think about, and it's not really happy math. Do you think that can happen, Xiao? I mean, if they allow the voting edges allowed to 18, the KMT could in fact lose support. That, that is entirely possible. I totally agree with Michael on this point. Because um, let's face it, KMT is not known to be a party where young people, you know, flock to to support. No. Um, <laughs> because, um, well, if you look at their party leadership, uh, it's m- mostly occupied uh, by you know so-called upperclassmen um, or even more senior people, um, and they are a party then that that's known to. Um, uh, to hold on to a lot of power, um, not letting you know the younger generation um, take 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 turns uh, to share that power. So I, I think it, it's just a some strategy that they have to think about. So on the other hand, if if the thing passes and eighteen years old um, allowed to vote now, I think they will be forced um, to face this issue front and center, and then and begin to think about how their younger generation is to going to take the mantle and then to carry the party forward. So I, I think it, it is a healthy um, development for the party. But on the other hand, the more and more smaller parties, for example, the the MPP, the New Power Party, or the uh, Min Zhong Dang, the TM. TMD, uh, so uh, they they will um, get an even larger share of votes. So just like Michael noted, um, it may just be likely that KMT will be falling out of the second place. But there, course- there, there is one bright spot, though. Um, it's hard to say, of course, what will will happen soon. But it seems pretty clear that the K, uh, KMT's uh, Zhang Wan An, who is the great grandson of former dictator Chiang Kai Shek and former President Zhang Jingguo's uh, grandson. Um, he's going to run for Taipei mayor. And one thing that was interesting about what he said he was going to do when he announced, uh, when he announces his candidacy is he's going to make a statement about his feelings uh, about his grandfather and great-grandfather. And um, this would be a very interesting opportunity for the KMT to course-correct here. And if he says something, you know, honest and forthright and it has uh, logic to it and um, it, it makes you feel like you know they're addressing the past while at the same time looking towards the future then there's a, a tiny tiny chance that uh, this guy could be a, a, a minor revival in the party but um, it's too many questions because uh, depending on how the race goes it could end up being a three-way race and uh, those races uh, sometimes favor the DPP so hard to say. And we have to take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And Slovenia's Prime Minister Janez Jansa told Indian public service broadcaster Dordashan on Monday of this week that his country is in talks with Taiwan to open trade offices in each other's territories and exchange representatives. Now, Jansa said the decision to open such offices is based on Taiwan being a democratic country that respects the international democratic standards and international laws. Jansa didn't release any details of the status of the talks with Taiwan or if his country will follow Lithuania's model 
on the name that Taiwan will be able to use for the office in Slovenia. However, he is stressing that the proposed offices will not be on the level of embassies, but will be on the same level as many of those already in European Union member countries. Now, here in Taiwan, Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh expressed the government's gratitude for Jansen's pro-Taiwan comments, but she also refused to comment on the bilateral talks regarding the opening of the trade offices with Slovenia. So, Xiao, of course, we had the faux pas and the faux pas, the, the, well, China would call it a faux pas, but I mean, Taiwan, they celebrated it. In Lithuania, they celebrated it. Of course, this could start all over again with Slovenia. Yeah, it can definitely can start all over again, right? Um, But uh, on the bright side, uh, given what's happening in Lithuania, um, the, the, the boycott of the, uh, the, the, the goods and services in, in China, um, the Slovenia still have the guts to, you know, to 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 express the the desire to open a, a, a Taiwan representative, given that uh, probably the name is not going to be Taiwan, uh, it's going to be Taipei Economic or something um, offices. Um, but um, it, it is still positive development, right? Because uh, the, the more and more uh, offices that Taiwan is being able to 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 have to open uh, all over the world, it give give us the footprint and the uh, the chance to 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 establish friendly relationships with government there. So I think I, I, I'm very happy to, to see that more and more people are, are resisting pressures uh, from China. Um, but that being said, we see news that uh, you know the Slovenia um, uh, business organizations are very worried and reasonably because what happened to Lithuania's uh, you know a lot of business uh, organizations being boycotted in, in China. But um, but yeah, but but we'll see what, how it develops from from now on. It's very, very wise for Taiwan to enact this strategy. And what this strategy is, is encouraging minor defiances to Beijing by as many countries as possible to try to demonstrate that you can get away with telling the emperor that he doesn't have any clothes on. But we shouldn't forget that uh, Lithuania and Slovenia can afford to do this. And what I mean by that is their exports, uh, the last numbers I can find from 2018 and 2019, to Poland were $1.2 billion, to France were $2. billion, to Germany were $7 billion, and to China were 400 something million. And that was down uh, year on year. So Slovenia is, also their imports are not uh, significant uh, from China as well. They, they're majority from the neighbors of, uh, around them. So both Lithuania and Slovenia are in a similar situation. If they are blacklisted for, by China, it's something that is not going to overwhelmingly uh, affect their economy, so they can get away with this. And it's very perfect for Taiwan because they're EU members. So it's having a little foot in the door. The EU is able to say to China, look, we can't tell member states what to do. You know, they have sovereignty. So uh, it's, it's, it's a perfect strategy for Taiwan to pursue, and they should continue doing this. Stop worrying about all these allies, the uh, tiny Pacific islands and uh, this, that, and the other. It's not important. This is important. Getting footholds into, into small places where we can demonstrate that defiance against China is possible. Of course, Michael, they shall call them small places, but of course they are if they they are close to the EU. Yeah, well, yeah, they are EU members. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. which of course could work for Taiwan. Yeah, it definitely can work. I mean, uh, just like Michael said, I mean, this is very smart step. 
um, and probably even smaller because um, if Slovenia is not so aggressive in you know putting the Taiwan in the name of the the office, then uh, then then this as a like these small wins uh, can accumulate, um, and it's gonna uh, accumulate into a bigger uh, you know a friendlier place for Taiwan in the EU. I don't know if you noticed an article a while back from uh, I forget now what magazine, but the the argument was pretty much that. When China becomes offended at every single thing that you do, it's no longer the, the, the power is gone. So if you're going to get offended no matter what you do, then you might as well just do what you want to do. And China does take offense at virtually anything that uh, a country does with relation to Taiwan. You could, you could call it pretty much any name, and they're going to get offended by it. So a lot of nations are starting to come to the point where they're like, well, if you're going to fuss about anything, then we're just going to do what we want. And if that trend continues, it could snowball, which would be wonderful. And lawmakers in the DPP held what is being described as a new chapter for parliamentary exchanges between Taiwan and Japan on security issues this Tuesday. The Parliamentary Taiwan-Japan Security Partnership was organised by DPP lawmaker Wang Dingyu and former Japanese Deputy Defence Minister Yasuhida Nakayama. And speaking after the virtual event, DPP lawmaker Chao Tian Lin told reporters that he called on Tokyo to consider drafting its own version of the US's Taiwan Relations Act. Now, the lawmaker said he believes the Japanese version of the Taiwan Relations Act will be an important step in further promoting Taiwan-Japan ties and also strengthening bilateral collaboration. So, Xiao, a Japanese version of the US-Taiwan Relations Act. This is going to be a big deal um, because we look at the US-Taiwan Relations Act. It came after uh, the US severed uh, diplomatic relations with the then Republic of China um, and then in order to you know keep protecting Taiwan from uh, falling into Chinese hands, uh, the, the the so-called U.S.-Taiwan Relations Act uh, came about. Um, so, if Japan is to enact a similar act, that that's going to show that um, Japan is thinking very uh, strategically in terms of uh, regional security, uh, in terms of. Uh, U.S., Japan, and Taiwan uh, triangular defense against a Chinese uh, a threat. So I'm happy to see this is going to develop, um, and I'm keeping an eye on this uh, going forward. And Michael, do you see it actually happening? Um, I think there's a good chance, yes, because we've seen a bit more of a militant posture from the latest Japanese uh, uh, government where they noted uh, not long ago that Taiwan is in the national interests of Japan, keeping Taiwan uh, China-free, so to speak. So it's uh, it's altogether possible. Now, you're going to hear from China that, you know, oh, Japan is militarizing again, and uh, we're going back to the 1930s and this sort of stuff. But uh, there's not much evidence for that. It seems mostly to be directed directly at Chinese uh, possible aggression. And having these laws in place, such as the Taiwan Relations Act, are very valuable tools in the same way that China keeps passing, you know, anti-secessionist laws or Hong Kong security laws. And then they go, hey, sorry, we have to crack down. It's just the law, you know. So same thing on our side. We can play the same game. Hey, sorry, it's just our law that states we have to defend Taiwan. And by having these laws in place, it gives China pause when they 
uh, sit around their table and think about whether or not they want to go through with any sort of, uh, you know, actual military this or that. And they have to really think about it. Do I really want to face both uh, Japan and America on the battlefield? Uh, that's going to have to be one of the calculations. So, yes, it's possible, and I hope to do it. And, Shaba, do you think the Japanese public would support this move? I think so. I, I think so because you know the, the Japanese public uh, has uh, developed a, a consensus toward um, you know being a strong friend of Taiwan. And uh, if you look at our past relationships, um, ever since the uh, the the, the three one one earthquake in, in Japan and and, and the uh, massive donation pouring in from Taiwan, uh, we have ever since developed a strong bond and kind of uh, we look at each other as a, as a brothers and feel the obligation to to help and protect each other so ever since then you know not even on the uh, uh governmental relations uh, even the civic relations we we feel a strong bond it, it, every time we visit japan we, we feel that bond so i i, I think that there's a consensus there in, in the japanese public to uh, to move toward a stronger uh, relation with taiwan and also uh, help with the mutual defense but of course, Michael, China might be arguing here that, hey, look what Japan's just done. That puts Taiwan still one of its colonial possessions. Yeah, they could go with that or they could go with, uh, uh, you're offending the feelings of 1.x billion people or uh, this is the opium wars or they can do whatever they want and they will do all of that. But it doesn't really matter. Um, from a more selfish perspective, if you want to put it that way, this is not just because Japan has a fondness for Taiwan or Taiwan has a fondness for Japan. This really actually is in Japan's strategic uh, interests by perhaps uh, setting up co-bases with the U.S. or storing ordnance together in the same spot, which are some ideas floating around with America. Uh, there's perhaps going to be some exercises with the French or other European navies uh, they're talking about with Japan. Japan is looking forward, um, not just, you know, into the uh, re coming future, but, you know, uh, 50, 60 years up, where China will be a, a very large threat, not just to Taiwan, but to, you know, them as well. So this is something that they need to prepare for as well, and it's in very much in their own interest. And before we go this week, and here's some green news. Pingdong County Magistrate Pan Meng and told reporters at the beginning of this week that household electricity in the county will be fully generated using renewable energy sources very soon. Now, renewable energy sources currently generate 1.4 billion kilowatt hours per year in Pingdong and can currently support the needs of 75% of households there. And Pan says if everything goes well, household electricity in Pingdong will be able to be fully supported by green energy before the end of this year. So, Michael, of course, this is in your neck of the woods, and mm. Ping, Ping Dong is now an island leader in green energy, it seems. Well, when it comes to solar, it makes total sense because Ping Dong gets uh, a lot of sunshine every year, rather strong sunshine, I might add. And what they've done is quite clever. They've gone around since 2019 and selected a, a number of plots of land um, around the county where... The land perhaps has been uh, affected by weather. It's no longer suitable for growing crops, or perhaps uh, there was a, a rock slide, or there's fears of a rock slide, or just places in the county that are not suitable for farming. And then they find out who owns the land, and they talk to the farmer, and they say, hey, would you like to rent your land to solar companies and make money off of doing this? 
and this is a win-win for everybody. So uh, one farmer, for example, he rented out his piece of land, and he said he did, he did it because his land is prone to flooding during the harvest season. So might as well rent it out. It's a much more um, safe investment by doing this. And uh, so, yeah, it's absolutely perfect for Pingdong. I don't think it would be as effective in uh, your neck of the woods, in Jilong or Taipei, for example, but uh, Pingdong is great. And what is also interesting about this is the moving forward in the political landscape of Pingdong County Commissioner Pamuan, who has very, very high ratings um, in his own county and also around Taiwan for his um, administration of the county. But he is entering his final term here in 2022, and it'll be interesting to see what his next move is. Does he get moved into a, a cushy job uh, with the central government, kind of like Chen Ju did at the end of her term, or does he seek some other uh, political office? But uh, his uh, political trajectory future is, is looking pretty bright. Yeah, I mean, Pindong is 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 great place. I mean, it's my number one destination to 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 retire to. So yeah, I mean, Michael is totally right. I mean, Pindong gets gets a lot of sunshine, and the the plan that use this uh, so called uh, uh, places where it's not suitable for farming or whether it's so uh, seriously sunken by over farming, um, they just sort of recycle these parts of lands and then use for uh, a solar energy. It, it's kind of genius, but well, that's probably only what Pindong can do because uh, we, we we certainly cannot do it here in northern Taiwan where uh, still, you know, this winter we don't see much of uh, the sun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, kudos to them. And uh, definitely next time I visit, I'll look for uh, the, the solar panels and then see how, how, how they, they work wonderfully. Do you think mate, Tai Dong and Hua Lian could emulate this? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, so this is a, is a pilot project. I mean, it's... It, turns out really really well so it definitely could be uh, spread around the country uh, to p- more places in southern Taiwan where uh, they also see a lot of sunshine and even even as far up as uh, Taichung is, is there's potential for perhaps not completely turning the city solar but um, there's a lot more solar that can be done on this island uh, we, we, we just need to, to harness it better I mean usually the Kaohsiung and Tainan governments following this line and trying to get more homes on the green energy grid Michael I do, uh, and we've also seen some development uh, in other eco-friendly stuff. Kaohsiung, uh, this Friday, is uh, the opening the second recycled water plant with 33,000 cubic meters of industrial water a day uh, being recycled. And this, you know, this is the second one, one of these massive ones that are... So they're, they're taking recycling and eco-energy a lot more seriously. And, uh, yes, I absolutely do see, we, we already see in Kaohsiung itself, if you go out a little bit outside of the, the main, you know, downtown city limits, you'll see, for example, shrimp farms or certain, you know, floating solar panels on top of these uh, bodies of water. Or uh, there's a, been a great increase in the number of people who are heating their water by using solar panels. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a trend, but Pingdong is uh, very much in the lead. And that's where we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xin Chung. Good night, everyone. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Have a nice weekend. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. 
Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.